Well, it's great to be, a real privilege to be with you today. And uh, uh, I'm uh, Simon Holly, for those of us who haven't had a chance to meet before. And um, I'm uh, Lead King's Arms in Bedford and also part of the leadership of Catalyst. And so I send um, love and greetings from our church at King's Arms in Bedford, but also from Catalyst. And isn't it great that even though we've divided, multiplied into multiple uh, spheres um, across New Frontiers, that we're all one family. And so if no other reason than just to send greetings from Catalyst and to say we applaud what you're doing, we've been inspired by your moves of prayer and your faithfulness in reaching this nation and oh, I've been, good see, and uh, this nation and just recognize that there's friendship across, although you know, it's a bit like extended families. We don't see each other very often, but there's a, a, a mutual friendship and warmth and heart. And uh, I believe and I, I hope from your part as well, no spirit of competition yeah, we've got to fight that divisive spirit of competitiveness, haven't we? That your breakthroughs are our breakthroughs and our breakthroughs are your breakthroughs. That we're a kingdom, it's part of family. And um, we really want to carry that, that spirit. Whenever I see uh, tweets of um, uh, great stuff that's happening on RM, that little competitive spirit likes to kind of kick off. Oh, gosh, did they, oh, that was a good idea. I wish we thought. And I thought, no, I'm, I put a bullet in that thing. That, that thing will kill us. That thing is rife in the church across the world. We've got to kill that thing and learn to genuinely celebrate the, the move of God wherever it comes because uh, your victory is our victory. Our victory is your victory. It's all Jesus and his kingdom. And if we can keep that, then he will just keep blessing because where there's unity, he commands the blessing, not just he hopes it comes. No, he says, no, that's, that's I'm going to bless that right there. That can, can carry what... Um, what I want to bring onto the earth. So, wonderful to be with you. And, uh, yeah, I, I'm, I have to admit, I'm a little bit nervous about today. I've got a few issues, and I thought I'd better get them off my chest to start with my issues, and then we can go from there, and then I've said it all. So, first is this. First is, I get very worried about being boxed in. So, what happens is, you see, people ask me to come on, uh, to speak about the Holy Spirit, about healing, uh, about signs and wonders, about sustainable power, and then the voices go, oh, that's Simon Holly. All he ever speaks about is the Holy Spirit and healing and signs and wonders and sustainable fear. So I get boxed in. And I would like to say, I have other things to say, by the way. There, I have other things to say. <laughs> so I would like to unbox myself from that box. And I would like to talk to you about welcome or groups or discipleship. But I'm not allowed to because I've been asked to do one particular thing. So just to say that, I don't know if that's my own stuff or whatever, but I just wanted to say that. And the second thing to say is I've never done a day like this before, and um, it needs a little bit of back, backdrop. And the backdrop is this. My wife, Caroline, is a dreamer. I don't mean she's a daydreamer. She's a, she is a dreamer of dreams. And we worked this out early in our marriage. Um, I'd never encountered a dreamer of dreams, a prophetic dreamer, before I married Caroline. And one night she had a dream, and it was so oppressive and demonic we knew that something was coming against our family. We didn't know what. It was filled with these picture language. It was like a kind of um, Ezekiel-type dream. It was like, you know, you read it and you think, what the? even today, we're like, what the? <laughs> you know, is that kind of a dream? But we knew there was something of God on it. And so we just began to pray, God, whatever it is that's coming against us, bring it into the light, bring a, bring a closure, shut it off. Well, anyway, what happened was it, an, a demonic attack against our family got exposed through that and was cut off. That had it 
been allowed, to, it was already happening actually under our very noses, we just didn't realise. Had it been allowed to continue, it would have been a devastating effect on our family. And to be honest, we would still be picking up the pieces today. And, and I'd never encountered a dream of dreams until that dream, and suddenly I realised, oh my gosh, my wife has got a gift. She has got a real gift here. And she then, uh, we, uh, she'd been having these dreams for years, and suddenly we began, whenever she had a dream, she would write it down. We learned about dream interpretation, etc., etc. And so numerous, numerous of things that we've done in the King's Arms, um, things that we've done uh, as a family have been affected by Caroline's dream. Well, anyway, one day, I was saying to her, well, I never, I mean, I never have any dreams. I don't even remember any dreams that I've ever had. I never dream. And she says, well, everyone dreams, you know, I've learned that. And I said, well, why don't you pray for me? So she prays for me. Oh, my gosh. She not only has a dream of dreams, she has the gift of imparting dreams to other people. And so suddenly I started having these crazy dreams that I've never, I mean, I'd never had before. I remember one was many years ago. I had a dream and uh, I was speaking at the Brighton Conference and that night, I was dreaming that I was following a man with a particular name which I knew who was chasing women to, uh, to, abuse, uh, to abuse them. And uh, I had the guy's name, I knew his name, and the dream was like one of those that just went on all night. It was over and over and again. I woke up having to speak the next morning exhausted. <laughs> anyway, I get up to th- I think, maybe there was something you've got. got. And so in the ministry time, I said, look, I had this dream. And if there's anyone here and you have been abused by a man of this name, and I gave the name, I won't give the name now because it'll be awkward if you've got that name. Uh, <laughs> I'll be like, oh, that's your name. No, if you if you uh, if you have that, if you've been abused by someone, interestingly, five people responded to that word who had all been abused by a person of that name, um, four women and one guy, and um, and I suddenly realised, oh, the dream was repeated, not because it was just, re- it was the su- it was five times that this had happened and uh, massive freedom got uh, what happened off that day, and I realised something uh, that God had imparted a gift to me through my wife. So that's the backdrop of here, and so I'm here today because of a dream that I had for you guys, that's the backdrop, and I'll tell you the dream in a moment, but after I've got past my third issue. And my third issue is this. I've heard someone else speak prophetically to a, uh, a movement or a network. And to be honest, it, they made a mess of it. And they really made a shambles of that and actually said stuff that wasn't helpful for the network and kind of derailed them a little bit um, for a season. Obviously, God used it and moved through it, but it just wasn't helpful. And it was a real assumption of, of something. And uh, I wouldn't want to be that guy. So now here I am. I'm a bag of nerves. I'm a bag of issues. And here I am. But I'm here as a man under authority. And I'm uh, here to deliver what, what uh, the team have asked me to deliver. So is that all right? Have I, have I got that? I've got my issues off my chest. I feel, I feel good now. So here it is. This is a dream that I had 18 months ago for you guys. Mike, I just woke up from a very vivid dream with you in it, so I thought I'd email while it's fresh. You were showing me around the state-of-the-art office building, vast, open-plan room with loads of activity, beautiful. But there was a problem. On one wall was a row of taps, one of which was like a drinking fountain on the wall. I've never seen a tap like it, but I knew exactly what it was. You said to me that it wasn't producing enough pressure for people to drink and also that it was leaking the whole time and wouldn't turn off. 
I spent some time working on it, had it off the wall, and eventually got it back on, and it was working fine. As we were leaving, you asked me to look at the data connections. As when I'd arrived, I said I thought there was a problem with them. I looked at the panels on the floor of the network, and they were highly advanced tech. I was surprised, actually. I was impressed and said I'd been wrong. Nothing wrong with them at all. And to make the changes I'd been thinking would actually be a downgrade from what you already had. I was thinking to myself, wow, we need to get something in like this. As we were leaving, I said, I love this networking stuff, which was strange because I'd actually spent most of the time on the plumbing. That was it. And I had a nice cuddly ending to Mike, which I've taken out for our sake. <laughs> I mean, that was it. I walked, took me like five minutes to write that. I hadn't even asked for the dream. And here we are. I emailed it. I think I'm here. With job, job done. I'm walking away at this point. Well, Mike, you know, Mike, he's like a dog with a bone, isn't he? I mean, if he gets something, he just won't let go. So backwards and forwards. I said to him, Mike, you, the dream is for you. Interpret it. It's over to you. He's like, no, no, no. What do you think it means? So here we go. About six months later, I was like, all right, Mike, because I was a bit reluctant. I had to dig out the original dream and see below. Here's my thoughts. One, the basic framework of what you're building apostolically is excellent. It's open plan, which would suggest a lack of control, and it has a beauty which would speak of the Lord's hand on it and approval of it. And I want to bring that to you from the Lord. I believe that the basic framework of what you're building is excellent. It's got a lack of control. There's a beauty about it which would speak of the Lord's commendation of what you've built. And I know, having been through it with Catalyst, it's not easy to get thus far. It's not easy to go through transition. I've seen multiple apostolic networks derail at this point. You guys have done well. Well done. Turn to the person next to you and say, well done. Because <laughs> this takes all of you. It's got a beauty to it, and you've got a commendation from God. There's a focus and concern on the network, which would speak to me of the connection between people. However, they, they are advanced and well-developed and mature, and actually not a concern at the moment to the Lord. The issue that needs addressing is the flow of the Spirit. It's something that can be rectified with attention, but it does need attention as it was lagging behind compared to what the rest of, you were bu- the rest of what you were building. It's not actually fit for the scythe and influence of what you're building. As it was drinking water, I suggest it speaks of the internal dependence and refreshment of the leaders on and with the Spirit. Some focus on this area is needed to ensure the leaders and churches know how to drink, keep in step with the Spirit, and are actually doing so, not just in theory. And that this area of your network keeps up with everything else that you're building. No point having a fantastic new office building with no water. Obviously, it was a dream. This is my interpretation. He's weighing. It's not went in any way as a criticism from me, as I've no idea what the state of uh, RM is. Take it as read. I have no angle on knowledge I'm feeding into it. hope it's helpful. Simon. Well, I thought I was done there. You see, I thought that was it. I've discharged my responsibility. But here I am, probably a year later, and uh, Mike and the team feeling like, could I help with that? That there was a resonance with that word um, uh, of commendation for what you've built, but also uh, a resonance that there is something that God wants to pour out of the Spirit, and it's lagging behind what else you've built. Now, I felt the Lord say that I need a mandate, not just from the team, but from you to deliver this word in this day. So what I want you to do is just take a moment just to weigh that word. Take a moment just to turn to your neighbor and say, do you receive that word, either personally, yep, that resonates with me personally, or for your church, or for your network as a whole? How do you receive that word? Just take a moment to 
weigh that, because I just want to make sure, because if you guys all say, Simon, that word makes no sense to us whatsoever, then I, this is going to be a short day right here, because I feel like I need a mandate from you guys to, to do that. Is that all right? Do you want me just to read that little bit again? Let me just read it again. The issue that needs addressing is the flow of the Spirit. It's something that can be rectified by the tension, but it does need attention as it was lagging behind compared to the rest of what you're building, not fit for the size and influence of what you're building. As it was drinking water, I suggest it speaks of the internal dependence, refreshment of leaders on and with the Spirit. Some focus on this area is needed to ensure leaders and churches know how to drink, keep in step with the Spirit, and are actually doing so, not just in theory. This is, the, this is the part of it. Um, you were showing me around a state of the of, uh, office building, vast open plan with loads of activity, beautiful, but there was a problem. On one wall was a row of taps, one of which was like a drinking fountain. You said to me it wasn't producing enough pressure for people to drink, and it was leaking the whole time and wouldn't turn off. I spent some time working on it, had it off the wall, and eventually got it back on, and it was working fine. So that's the dream, and that was my interpretation. Why don't you just take a moment and just turn to the person and say, do I receive it personally? Do I receive it for our church? Do I resonate with it? Or do I receive it for the movement? Or all three? You know, I really feel like God is speaking to all three. Okay, why don't you turn back this way. Just raise a hand if you felt like I had a resonance with that word, either on one of those three levels. Okay, okay, I think we've got our mandate right there. Just out of interest for me, who did you feel like I've got a resonance with it for me personally? I felt that was a personal... Okay, that's great to see. And who from... Actually, it's for our church. We need, we need this in our church. Okay, all right, okay. There's my rant. Now let's, let's just welcome the Spirit, shall we? And I thought what we ought to do then, and I would stand and join you in this, is we ought to start with a place of receiving God's Word to us and also to repent and to say, Lord, we do... Repent means not just to say, sorry, it means to change our thinking, which means to say, God, we don't want to get to the end of the, our day having built something that looks beautiful, that's well-connected, but that is devoid of the inflowing power of your spirit we might see a gentle breeze but we gentle breeze is not what we're here for we're for the mighty rushing wind of the spirit and that's what we've got so why don't we just stand together and and just come before us this is really for i'll lead you but this is for you to do in your own heart thank you god
Yeah, just just pray after me, and I'll, I'll lead you with words which I think will fit. Um, Father, we come as your children. We recognise this is your house. And we want to build according to your blueprint. Our lives, our churches, our movement to be full of the mighty rushing wind, the empowering wind of your Spirit. Holy Spirit, forgive us for leaving you sometimes on the outskirts, for carrying on with our own effort a work that began by the Spirit for not being sensitive to your leading. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Lord, whatever we build, we want it to be full of you. In your mighty name. Amen. Amen. Bless you guys. As you confess your sin as I confess mine, the Lord is faithful and just to forgive us and to wash us from unrighteousness. Just receive the, the washing. We run into your arms, Father. You're so patient. You're so gentle. You so understand that we're but flesh. We're just but grass. And uh, you're so quick to forgive. You're so quick to even use our mistakes and when brought to you for your glory. So we just present... Uh, RM, our, our churches, our lives to you and say, Lord, now do what you want to do. <laughs> In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, you just grab your seats again. So what I would like us to do then, I think probably we've got three sessions together and really, I, in one sense, I've discharged my responsibility in that now having received that word, it's actually you guys' job to work that out. <laughs> and I can help today but actually, today, it's not actually down to me. I can help, I can give you our journey, but the cry now has to come from within you. The shaping has to come from within you. The changes have to come in your lives and your churches and your movement. And I'm here now just to help, but you've received the word as from the Lord, and things are going to have to move out the way to really receive that word. Things are going to have to change. You can't receive a word from God and things remain the same. You can't carry on doing the same things and expect different results. No, when God speaks, and, and I believe you've received that as a movement, then something's got to shift now. And what needs to shift is up to you. And I can help you with some of our journey, not at all putting ourselves in, in the place of an expert. I can help you with some of our journey, but, but really we're recognising that I present now uh, the, the things that perhaps can help you. And you might get help from others on the way and also help from others within you. But, but be thinking, be praying, be saying, God, we really receive that word as a movement now. What does it look like? What do you want us to do? And he will lead you. Let's turn to Acts, and what I'd like to do in this session, the first two sessions we're going to look on a personal uh, point, because everything flows out of your own hearts, where you begin is where the church begins, and so as leaders this is going to be critical, and then this afternoon we'll look at building communities of the Spirit um, in, our, in our churches, but let's look at dependence on the Spirit personally, and what does it mean to be on fire with the Spirit, and we'll look through Acts, because Luke 
um, really writes from this perspective. This is his big mandate, is to write an understanding. The gospel lens that Luke is bringing is to help the early believers understand just how dependent on the Spirit, just how critical life in the Spirit was. And you see that right away through Luke and through Acts. That was his big message that he was getting home to the churches. And so uh, five principles out, out of Luke. And the first is this, and this is really the big one, dependence on the Spirit. And you'll have to flick with me, but Acts 1 verse 4, while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart, this is Jesus from Jerusalem, but to wait from the promise of the Father. Note this is not by effort, this is not by us working something out, this is initiated by God himself. It's our promise, it's our right, it's our birthright. If, I, if you were my children and I promised you something and I didn't deliver and I know this because they do it all the time, Dad, you promised! So actually that is our initial foundation point, is Dad, you promised! Dad, you promised. Dad, we're not satisfied with seeing it in, in China, in Africa, and, and we're not satisfied. You didn't, we're not, oh, Dad, we don't, I don't, you know, my son would say, Dad, I don't care what you promised Kaya, my sister. I don't care what you promised her. You promised me. They're not satisfied when Kaya gets something. They're saying, no, you promised me. It's the same principle that Luke's drawing here. The promise of the Father is for all, which he said, you heard about it from me. John baptized with water but you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. You'll receive power when the Spirit comes upon you. And then you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Luke's laying out right at the start of his letter uh, about the early church that they were dependent on the Spirit. Acts 2 verse 33, Peter preaching, being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, received from the Father the promise of the Spirit, there it is again, he has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. And Peter said, repent, be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for forgiveness of sins and you too will receive the gift of the Spirit. There's this dependence, the beginning of everything starts in this place and Peter has got it. The light's finally gone on. You know, you can see in the early church, can't you? you can see they've spent, the disciples have spent a few years wandering around thinking, how is Jesus doing this stuff? We can't even work this thing out. And then suddenly, oh my gosh, he was doing it by the Spirit. He had done something he'd received at his baptism. It all suddenly lines up and then they're suddenly like, whoa, he's promised us the same Spirit that was on him. And the revelation comes. That means, hang on, the dots are joined. That means we can do the same things that Jesus did. It's by the Spirit. It's being baptized by the Spirit. The dependence is right. There. And, and, and this is really what began in us as a community. It was that cry. It was that realization that we're believing for Ezekiel's river. And we're not, we're not content with it to be ankle deep. We're believing for a river that takes us off our feet. We're not content with it to just wade in the shallows. We're believing for a river that sweeps us away, that takes us where it wants to go, that changes the world around us when it flows, that the, the barren, fruitless places become fruitful. We're believing for the river of Ezekiel, for our church for our nation in our generation we don't want to hear about the hebrides anymore we want to hear about the nowbrides we want to hear about what's happening here and now and it was that cry of dependence whilst at the same time learning from other churches about you've got to serve better coffee and your welcome's terrible and all of that stuff that's all good but without the fire of the spirit it's all just starbucks can do it better to be honest we need the spirit of god will never be good enough our worship songs will never be shut down. our musicians can't get professional enough. You did a great job, by the way, guys. But they just can't get professional enough. And, and our hosts will always be a bit grumpy on a Sunday morning. And all of that stuff, we can get a little bit better and it's no excuse for shoddy, but without the experience of the Spirit and the vibrant catching up, God, we've got to have you. 
And that's what got into our hearts. And, it, and it's just been brilliant to see that shaking off. And I think we just become self There's nothing worse than a smug charismatic. There's no, and we were just smug charismatics. You know, we, we, we speak in tongues and, and we, we, we do modern choruses and we have great coffee and, and we, we don't use our OHPs anymore and, and our website looks cool. And, and, and if that's it, then we've missed something. It, it, all of that, nothing of that is bad. And we've learned all about that stuff. But fundamentally, it's the people of the Spirit. That's what changed it. And it's just been so exciting to see as that cry has got into people's hearts. How have we seen it? Well, first, I think it's the fruit. There's often lots of focus on the, the, the power of the Spirit. But first, I would say the difference I've seen is in the fruit of the Spirit. It's in, it's in the love. It's in the joy. People come to our church now, and what they encounter first is joy. <laughs> They encounter, they can't be, sh- they, and you, sit, you hear it time and time again. People seem happy to be here. I've heard that so many times. They seem happy to be here. You see that joy in people's eyes as they've encountered the life, the joy, the spirit. That's a supernatural joy that comes from the heart, no matter what your circumstances are. And you see, and I often see it, people that I know are going through miserable circumstances, worshipping, tears streaming down their faces. We've got one lady, her husband and her son were killed. Her 12-year-old son and her husband were killed in a climbing accident. I mean, can you just imagine? And she said to me, Simon, the pain never goes away, and I'm never expecting it to go away. People say, have you, have you moved on yet? She said, I'm never moving on. My 12-year-old son is dead. But the joy when she worships Jesus is a supernatural thing. But we, we see that, and, and, then, and then we see the power, and even through, I mean, I've been excited just to see our kids. I mean, I went to church all my life and just had no expectation, but, but you know, we were in a restaurant as a family recently, and, and I, I was just, I had to leave early because of car parking and one thing or another, but as I, I left, we've been teaching our kids about looking for people of peace, you know, the people that welcome you, who, who serve you, who listen, and we've just been learning as a family just to, who are the people of peace that the Lord is bringing into our lives, and the waiter just had something about him, there was just something, I said to Caroline as I was going, I've got, you know, I've got to go, but that, there's something on the waiter, just pray with the kids about him and see what you get, so they prayed quickly before he came back, and um, one of our sons, he's a prophet in the making, he said, I had a, I had a, a picture of, um, of a boat accident. I think the guy's been in a boat accident, and uh, my wife and daughter, I think, had something about his back. Anyway, they chat with him, and um, have you been in a boat accident? He said, that's so weird. He said, my best friend has just been in a boat accident. He was like, it like nearly took his life. It has been so shocking for our friendship group. So, ding, you know, he's awake and uh, listening. And then they pray for his back. And he was just so blessed. It was only a little encounter. But I was so encouraged because I was like, do you know what? This flows out of a 10-year-old. You know, this is flowing out of a, out of a 13-year-old. This is, this is becoming the normal Christian life, to expect the power of the Spirit, to expect revelation that opens the secrets of unbelievers' hearts, to expect his healing power is in their very DNA. They'll never, they'll never go back. They can never expect anything different. This is what the normal Christian life looks like for them. We've been provoked by uh, uh, just just the cry of God. So for us, one of my passions is that the deaf would hear in Bedford. That I believe when Jesus was asked, "How do we know that you're Messiah, the Messiah?" He he gave some indicators. 
he said that the deaf hear, the blind see, the lame walk, the incurable are, are cured, good news is preached to the poor. And, and for me, those are the, the hallmarks, really, of the... And he said, you, the kingdom of God has come upon you. And those, for me, are the, the signs of, of kingdom. And I believe every community should have at least one deaf person that hears. Every community should have at least one blind person that sees. Because you can't argue with it. It goes beyond what they can argue with, even beyond medical science of today. I, I believe that we've got to be asking, Holy Spirit, fill us with such power that when someone says, why, why, why do you believe? And we could, we could give an apologetic answer or we could say, well, come and chat to John who was blind. You know, make your own, that's why, that's one of the reasons, you know, that kind of evidence. And so we were crying out for God, Lord, let the deaf hear in Bedford, let the deaf hear. And amazingly, I think five years ago we began crying, six years ago we began crying out. And the first year we saw nothing, not not a single thing. Next year we saw a guy who had a range of hearing missing, the top range, and it was restored and uh, he could suddenly hear uh, and that was it, I think. Next year, we had someone who was completely, he was partially deaf. He hadn't lost all his hearing, but most of his hearing one year. Suddenly, it was restored. Next year, I'm not sure we saw very much. And then year five, which was uh, last year, I mean, just like we had, I think it was on two different trips that our teams did, they saw two people, both who had double hearing aids, take them off and say, I don't need the hearing aids anymore. <laughs> and, and it's just... What I've seen is it comes from this place of, God, we've got to have you fill us with power. We want to do the things that no one else can do, that they can't do, unless they're filled with the power of the Spirit. We, we were provoked by um, John G. Lake, who is a, an American evangelist in Africa. Um, I, I've just been so provoked by his life. Let me just read you one of his little stories, because it's a, it was a life-defining story when um, I, I read it. And what happened was, John, uh, he, he lost like five of his siblings, died in, in when they were kids, and um, his wife then got terminally ill, and he prayed for her, having just kind of despaired of any answers in the church. Uh, he just got his Bible out and just, just was like, God, you've got to do this. And he prayed for her and she was dramatically healed. Um, and then what happened was, it was so dramatic because she had terminal cancer, people began coming to him for him to pray. And he began to have these meetings all over the Chicago area. And he ministered part-time. He had a full-time, he had a full-time job, so he was doing evenings and weekends for about a decade. And hundreds of people were saved and healed. And, and this is what uh, he writes. By the end of ten years, Lake wrote, I believed I was the hungriest man for God that ever lived. My friends would say, Mr. Lake, you have a beautiful baptism in the Holy Spirit. Yes, it was nice as far as it went, but it was not answering the cry of my heart. This is the strange... And you, re- you should read the miracles that happened in those ten years. And it's like, at the end of it, it's like, yeah, but it's not enough. <laughs> it's not enough. This is the strange thing. Even though he was moving in some power, Lake felt that he'd never been properly baptized in the Holy Spirit. So for the first nine months of 1907, he fasted, he prayed, he cried out to God just to have all of God that he could possibly have. Then one October day, he was praying for someone else when something like a warm tropical rain shower began pouring over his soul. He heard God say, I've heard your prayers. You are now baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't even know what to do with it theologically. I don't care. (laughs) Then the power came a power like never before. Lake was sitting in the chair when a downpour of electrical current surged through his body, causing him to convulse out of control. 
control. When the phenomena had passed, late wrote, the glory of it remained in my soul. I found out that my life began to manifest in a varied range of the gifts of the Spirit that I'd never seen before. Healings were a far more powerful order. My nature became so sensitized that I could lay my hands on any man or woman and tell them what was wrong with them and to what extent. He tested that new wonder by going to hospitals, touching patients who the doctors couldn't diagnose to find out what their ailments were. Nevertheless, after a time, Lake's diagnosis proved to be correct. He would diagnose people that the doctors couldn't diagnose. He then also got doctors to x-ray people as he was praying for them, and the x-rays showed people getting healed as he was praying for them. I mean, it just does something to you, and you can, you can park it in the theological, I don't get that box, but it's got to do something in our spirits that says, God, there is more. There is more for us and for our churches and for our movement. We've got to have this mighty rushing wind. We've got to see your life, your spirit falling on us in power. And, and, and we, one other thing for us, so we began to say, Lord, we want to see the revelation of the spirit. And, you know, Acts, uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul writes about it. He says, when you're prophesying and unbelievers are in your midst, he said, the secrets of their hearts will be un- revealed and they will fall on their knees and say, surely God is among you. And I was just like, Lord, we're just not seeing that. You know, we have a picture of someone and I see a rainbow and, and God loves you. And oh, it's, it's good. I mean, I don't despise it. But Lord, it's not at the point where unbelievers falling on their knees and saying, surely God is among you. That's got to be what we're after. I mean, surely the church can't, you know, have a high point in 1 Corinthians 14 and slowly go downhill for a few thousand years until we peter out. No, no, no. Surely that has got to be a point. Aren't we moving from glory to glory? Aren't we going from glory to glory? Isn't, isn't, I mean, I don't, anyway, so we just began to pray like this and, um, um, Wendy and I, uh, one of my co- co-workers in Bedford, we just began to say, God, you've got to give us words of knowledge of that accuracy. And um, so we began to give words of knowledge on Sunday. And to be honest, there was so much unbelief in the room. I mean, I could say there's someone here with a head and no one would respond. It was just like, it was just terrible. It was so sceptical and cynical. And we, all sorts of stuff in our hearts to get out of the way. It was just like, no one was responding. And then one Sunday, Wendy picks out a, um, a, a lady and stands up and says, I see you writing. And the lady bursts into tears and through her tears. It was the first Sunday. She'd never been there before. She says, I'm a journalist. And I can tell you, I felt the awe of God come in the room. And I was looking at the people, and I suddenly saw something I'd not seen before. You see, we'd had the traveling evangelist come in and, and the traveling prophet and do the words. But this was someone that they had seen, give it a go, fail, give it a go, fail, give it a go, fail. Wendy would come to me someone, some Sunday and say, why is no one responding? It's crazy. I was so sure that was right. I was like, I don't know, let's just keep going. But they'd seen someone grow in a gift. And what I saw in their eyes was, if she can grow, then I can grow. And it did something in their hearts because it, it, it removed the anointing of the Holy Spirit from a traveling someone who just goes around the world and, and does their thing to, well, we could have this in our lives. And this could be in our church. And something shifted in people's spirits such that now we have people deliver words of knowledge that honestly, 10 years ago, they would have then written a book and traveled the country full time telling people about it. And they just go back to work the next day. So we had one guy, he, he, uh, it was a couple of years ago now, but it was just such a precious moment. He picks a lady out and he says, I see the, the, the book Narnia and I'm drawn to the character of Lucy. And she says, that's my name. 
And he then delivers this jaw-dropping word for her. And she didn't sit down. She fell down into her mother's arms, weeping her heart out. And I thought, that's 1 Corinthians 14 right there. Surely God... I don't know what... She might have hated the coffee. She might have thought the worship was too long. She, I, don't care, I don't know what she thought about it. She might have thought it was unwelcoming or too big. She knew, surely God is among you. <laughs> she knew that. And everyone around her knew. You could feel it's like those goose, goosebumps moment. And um, praise the Lord for Apple Watch. Um, it's telling me I'm out of time. So... I just want to just start with this, this reality that comes in Acts, which is this, you know, this dependence on the Spirit. This dependence on the Spirit has got to be in our own lives as leaders, but it's also got to be in our churches. We've got to train people that their first priority is dependence on the Spirit. You know, I've been wrestling with some of the the, the things that hold people back from that. I think one one of the things is, this reality, and you see this in Acts, um, once filled, we've got to understand the necessity of remaining full. Um, many of us got stuck in churches about arguments about when do you receive the Spirit? Is it at salvation or is it a later thing? And, and to be honest, I just do an un- end game around that whole argument now. I don't even go. I know that was a very big battle for a previous generation. For me, for our generation, I'm like, you know what? I don't care. I don't really care. All I care, care is, are you filled with the Spirit now? <laughs> I mean, you can argue about that, and it's, sure, it's important, I'm sure. But to me, my job is not to argue about all of that. I mean, did you get filled when you were saved, and did you not? To be honest, okay, fine, you can think what you want. Are you full now? Are you full of the Spirit now? Are you full on a daily basis? Are you moving in the power? And the, is the Spirit producing fruit in your life? What, what fruit have you produced in the last year that you can think, that wasn't just through my self-effort and self-help books. It was God did it in me. It was the Spirit who did it in me so that at the end of my life I can fall on my knees and say, I was an angry, contentious, horrible person. But you did it, Holy Spirit. It was your fruit. Here it is. That's got to be what our people have to understand. It's not about how did you get feel, and, and for many I think we have to just do an end game around that whole argument and, and drive them to the point of, are you full now? Are you, as, are you like John Lake who's saying, am I as full as I can be? God, I want to be fuller because I think I can take more. I can take more. You know, it's like my kids with ice cream. Are you full? No, more. I can take more. We've got to be like that with God. God, I think I can take more. Isn't that what the Father's wanting? If you're wanting a self-satisfied, charismatic, so like, oh yeah, well, at least we've got more than the church down the road. Spit that out of my mouth. No, God is saying he wants a people who are like, God, we can take, we, RM, we can take more. We can take more than you've given us, Lord. Pour out more. Fill us more. We can take more. There's something of that. And, and you see that in Acts, don't you, right the way through, you know. It wasn't a one-off. Acts 4, when they prayed, the place where they gathered was shaken. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, continued to work, work, uh, speak the word of God with boldness. Acts 3, pick out, when they're selecting deacons, pick out among you seven men of good repute who are great at organizing things. And you can organize this out of this mess. No. Seven administrators who are full of the spirit and wisdom. I'm not sure Stephen actually did anything to help the widows. He was just like, hang on a minute, Stephen, you were selected to help the widows out, and the next minute you're, you're preaching the gospel and being stoned. What the heck? Was it because I said heck? I think it was. Okay, delete that from the record. Sorry, Lord. Sorry, Lord. 
The point is, it's not a one-off thing. It's not a one-off thing. It's not something that we can say, well, I got that when I was, you know, 20, when I first went to a charismatic church and was filled with the Spirit, and it was amazing. No, no, no. Who cares about that? What happens now is now, today, are you full with the Spirit? I was so provoked um, just over the summer hearing Heidi Baker and our team went to hear her at a conference and she was just telling how, um, I mean, phenomenal. She's you know, planted, goodness knows, they planted a team, seven, 8,000 churches in Mozambique. And um, she was telling how she heard at a conference a guy say that every person that they prayed for in their area who is deaf hears. Oh, sorry, who's blind hears. Uh, sees, sorry. <laughs> I'm so confused, I don't know what happened. So every person who is blind sees. And so she was like, God, Mozambique is filled with blind people. You've got to give this to me. I want this. Fill me, Spirit. Fill me again. And so the person, he prayed for her, she goes out in the Spirit. She said, I knew I was down for a long time when the person who was hoovering began to hoover around my body at the end of the meeting. So she was down there. They then dragged her out to the car, took her home, threw her into the hotel room, onto her bed, and she was just out in the Spirit. She kind of rolled off the bed. 2 a.m., she's still there. She then uh, hears a knock at the door. And at uh, 2 o'clock in the morning in our hotel, crawls, you know, commando crawls to the door, opens the door, and there's two cow- sets of cowboy boots there. And uh, two prophets from different states had both been spoken to by God and said, go to this hotel room and you'll meet a woman called Heidi. And when you get there, tell her she's got what she asked for. <laughs> Whoa! Anyway, so she goes home, and she was just telling that in two particular tribes, every blind person they pray for sees. And that's actually how they plant churches. They rock up in a certain area. They, say, they, they show the Jesus movie. They say, bring us the blinds, and they pray for the blind. The blind, no, the white eyes, because Mozambique's got terrible eye care and health care. So very often it's treatable diseases that just have caused them to go blind. They pray for them, the whites turn brown, and they can see, and then... Oh, that's part of church. Off we go to the next village. And they send a team in to, to, to sort the church out and appoint elders, etc. Sounds like the Bible, actually. Uh, uh, <laughs> and uh, and uh, she tells one story, though. She was, she was running late for a meeting. She had numerous people coming to this meeting, an important meeting. And she gets, she's on her way there. And um, as she's going, she sees a blind lady. I mean, Mozambique just got loads of blind. She sees this blind lady. And she feels the Holy Spirit say, go minister, pray with her. And, uh, but she's like, Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm running late already, you know, and I'm going to be even late if I stop. And she felt the Holy Spirit say to her, do you, do you want to be led by this, or do you want to be led by this? And she said, she just had to stop and just repent and say, Lord, thank you for this, but I'm, I'm led by this. And uh, so she stops, she says to the lady, what's your name? And the lady says, I, I, haven't, I haven't got a name. She's like, what do you mean, what's your name? What, what do you mean we haven't got a name? She said, well, no one's ever given me a name. So this is a blind beggar. No one's ever given me a name. So she asked the people around, what's this lady's name? They're like, we don't know. She hasn't got a name. No one's ever given her a name. And so she says to her, can I, can I give you a name? And she says, yes. So she names her Mozambique, in which I, I think uh, meant uh, your, your life will be full of joy or abundant joy or something. And she says she just sat there and just hugged her, just embraced her, prayed over her, led her to Jesus. And as she did so... Her white eyes became brown and she could see. I, it was just, it's just kind of wrecked us as a team as we realised, God, it's so easy in our Western con- context to get led by this when we want to be a people who are led by this and who are dependent on the Spirit every day of our lives. And the second little part of that is not, is once 
um, we are, uh, we're filled, we've got to keep on being filled. But the other thing is we've got to keep out of the way the stuff that would block the flow of the Spirit in our lives. Um, one Timothy, 2 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, this is why I remind you to fan into flames the spiritual gift God gave you when I laid my hands on you. For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity, but of power and love and self-discipline. I mean, I mean you can imagine, can't you, if Mike has emailed or uh, uh, Steph had said, or actually Simon couldn't make it today, but, you know, as a team we've been working on this, and we've actually raised the Apostle Paul from the dead, and he's going to be speaking today. Now, I know you'd have some theological issues to chat through later, but imagine you knew the Apostle Paul was going to be here today, and at the end of the meeting he was going to lay hands on you to receive a spiritual gift. I mean, who would not approach that with some measure of expectancy? <laughs> who would not be like, yep, I'll, yep, come, I'll stand it. I don't care if you make me wait in line for three hours. I'm getting him to lay his hands on me and receive a gift. Timothy had had that. He'd had Paul and the elders lay hands on him. And Paul says, not only did you have it, you actually did receive a gift. You received a gift in that moment. But, he says, that gift is dormant. You've got to fan it into flame. And why does he say? Because we've not been given a spirit of fear. There was something about Timothy that was allowing fear to act like a rock in his heart. He had the deposit of the, of the spirit, but the, the fear was blocking it. We don't know how that was operating, but fear was blocking that. And Paul's challenging him, saying it's not. And I think, I wonder if in many of our churches, and perhaps for many of us, we go down the front and say, Lord, give me more of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit's like, that ain't the issue. <laughs> That's not the issue. It's not about getting it. For some, it is. It's about, enough, you know, I believe in that. There's an impartation. There's a greater fullness. There's a fresh way that he blows or gives gifts. But I wonder if for many, it's not that at all. It's about there's so much blockage in here that no matter how mighty the rushing river is, it just gets damned by the stuff that's in our own hearts, fear being one of them. And we have been on a journey of that, recognizing that it's great to come to the, great to come to God and say, fill me again. But as important is saying, God, get this stuff out of my heart. That would stop you, Holy Spirit, from moving. Um, so this is the, the first thing that I, I want to bring to us, is that the acts that Luke is reminding us is that the church was founded on a dependence on the Spirit. They were filled and they were filled again. And, and it's not okay, it's not enough to be open. You know, I talk in many groups and to many individuals and they, individuals and they say, I'm, well, I'm open to the Spirit. You know, imagine my wife Caroline was here and... and I, uh, and uh, she said to me, Simon, would you like a kiss? And I said, I'm open. <laughs> Who's married here and knows that openness to a kiss counts for nothing? <laughs> it's almost an insult. <laughs> God is not looking for churches, for individuals, for leaders, for a movement who are open. He's looking for a movement that is hungry, that is so dependent, that says like Moses, unless you send us out full we ain't going anywhere. <laughs> like John Lake that cries out with prayer and fasting and says, God, I've got there's room for more. I can take more. Interesting, uh, uh, reading about, I know you guys have been stirred by prayer. John Hyde was one who launched a prayer movement in India and saw phenomenal things of God. But as they started, they formed uh, the Punjab Prayer Union. And uh, they, it was interesting, they had four, uh, they had five or six actually, but I'll read you four of the questions that they had to sign in order to join the prayer union. 
Are you interested? No, I'm going to tell you anyway, but anyway. This, is, this was profound and interesting to me. Number one, are you praying for a quickening in your own life, in the life of your fellow workers, and in the church? Number two, are you longing for a greater power of the Holy Spirit in your own life and work, and are you convinced that you cannot go on without this power? Number three, do you believe that prayer is the great means of securing the spiritual awakening that you need? And number four, will you set apart one half hour each day as soon afternoon as possible to pray for this awakening? And are you willing to pray until the awakening comes? I thought that's really profound, isn't it? They define this is the people that we are going to be. We are dependent on the Spirit and unless he comes, we ain't going anywhere. And they saw a mighty move of God across India on the basis of those four questions. So as we begin, why don't we just open our hearts to the Lord and we need to take a break. But I just want us to open our hearts before the Lord and say, God,